0: It's the end
1: of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it.
0: This is the hour of doom.
1: Maybe, but I Uh. hope it's bloom.
0: Oh, there you go. And you know who said that? Nurse Amy. Nurse Amy has again taken a moment out of her busy day. (laughs) To join us for the Survival Medicine Podcast. What's it been like for you at the Wistful Warehouse of Wonder? <laughs>
1: <laughs> A lot of bagpacking.
0: Yeah, unseen, seen.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it is just... Um, thanks, guys, for all the support out there. We are hand packing your bags as fast as we can.
0: Yep, you actually have... Old farts like me, and, <laughs> I
1: know and you poor thing. Yeah, thank d- you for helping. On, working
0: on packing, you've bags. been How awesome. About that? Isn't that hard you to believe? We make a
1: great team, though.
0: That's right. Well, <claps> good job. Luckily, I'm going to give a... you a
1: little star or like mm. a little, you know, happy face. All you know, right. the teachers used to give you a happy face on your kindergarten. I'll, when you did I'll your take hit. it or
0: a star. Or yes, whatever. when you did your
1: A's and your B's yeah. properly, they give you a little happy face.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? Without further ado, we want to talk a little bit about the Survival Medicine Podcast. It has been an epic of excellence in an epidemic world.
1: Epidemic world. It sure
0: has been. That's right. And what we want to talk about today is a little bit of education about what has been going on with regards to viruses? Now so we are updating talk, us? We're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to just talk a little bit about the origin of viruses. I think it's something that most people don't know about, and I think that it would be a good... It's kind of interesting. Yeah, a little bit of, a few minutes of information, education, edutainment. Ed- education. That's right. But first, I guess we have to say to everyone that we are... Going to talk a little bit outside the conventional medical wisdom. We often do that on this podcast, but we also have active medical licenses, conventional medical licenses that we would like to keep. And so, therefore, listen to this.
1: All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post apocalyptic settings we strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available.
0: That's right. In other words, don't listen to the rantings of some old coot. That would make you some kind of prepper. Well, actually, that's sort of in fashion now. Everybody needs to be prepared because of the coronavirus.
1: I have to find it very interesting that the CDC, the World Health Organization, and pretty much everyone in charge of emergency medical preparedness in this country are now screaming at the top of their lungs, you must have food and water and elect- um, cooking methods. Yeah. I was going to say electricity, right, but right. they're the ones that are providing electricity. Methods to power things. I mean, they are preaching to the choir of those who have already been prepared and hopefully preaching to those who have not been listening prior.
0: That's right. And the funny thing is that we in the preparedness community have been ahead by everyone else by a mile for many years now.
1: Yeah, there are people who prepared... Probably 60 years ago, 100 Um, years ago. A
0: month of Sundays. (laughs) Hundreds of years ago. (laughs) That's right.
1: So join the party, folks. We're welcoming everyone into this fold.
0: That's right. Unfortunately, it is because of the COVID-19 pandemic that we are having to talk about this kind of thing. You know what?
1: That doesn't matter. Get prepared. You never know. Hurricane, tornado, flood, fire. Who knows? It can happen. Just be prepared.
0: Well, we're—that's actually very good advice for right for the moment because we are indeed, the United States is indeed in the initial stages of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and we've had close to one thousand cases. With uh, oh, did it really hit a thousand? It it is nine hundred and something. Really? Yep, Yep, that's right. And probably
1: going to go up strictly because we have more of the uh, tests that are going out. I want to call them test kit. They didn't like the word kit. But more tests are being put out.
0: That's right. A million, as a matter of fact, a day. Actually, you're wrong. No.
1: It was 1 million plus 900,000, they say, would go out on Monday.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, do not panic out there. There are going to be big increases in the number of cases just because of the ability to test a huge number of people. So I think that that's something that we need to just expect an outbreak. And expect it to be pretty big, I think thousands of cases, maybe tens of thousands more. You know, And it's bad for old folks like me because we're advised to stay away from crowds and that sort of cramps our style. But the truth is everybody might have to deal with more restrictions before things get better. And all this is because of a bug that's measured in, gosh, a billionths of an inch. How did we first figure out that viruses exist at all? That, I think, is a very interesting story. I'm going to tell it to you right now. They've been the object of serious study just for a little bit more than a 100 years, and they've been visible to the human eye using technology just for a few decades, but it's likely that they wreaked havoc in human populations even before man walked fully upright. Now, how did something so small that even a light microscope can't see it caused so much of an effect on humanity? How did we finally discover viruses and begin to understand their profound effect on the planet Earth? Well, advances in microbiology are often spurred by a catastrophe, and they could be epidemics that directly affect humans like COVID-19, or it could be a plant virus that causes crop failures, and that's exactly what happened in the late 1800s. A blight of tobacco plants in the Netherlands ruined the industry in the entire country, and that was a very popular product back then. What happened is the leaves became mottled with patches of live and dead tissue, and they were pretty much useless for the production of pipe tobacco or cigarettes or whatever they used back then. Investigators couldn't find anything in the weather conditions or the soil that was different than before. No Fungi or parasites were present, but when sap from a sick plant was injected into a healthy plant, they developed the same mosaic of dead and live areas that rendered the plant unusable in the manufacture of tobacco products. Well, we knew about bacteria at that point, so they became the prime suspects. But by the late 19th century, there, de- there was developed a filter, a special filter that had pores that were even smaller than bacteria. <laughs> And with it, bacteria could actually be separated from a sample. And using that technology, a few years later, a Russian biologist named Dmitry Ivanovsky used this filter to show that the extracts from the leaves of tobacco plants remained infectious for some reason, even after using the filter to remove all the bacteria from it. So it couldn't be the bacteria. What was causing the infection to continue spreading? Well, by the turn of the 20th century, other scientists were studying this strange phenomenon. And here we see a Dutch scientist named Martinus Beijerinck, And I don't know if I'm spelling that right or, or pronouncing it right. But he was a Dutch guy and he was a scientist. And he suggested that there was indeed an entity smaller than a bacterium. That existed, and that was what was infecting the tobacco plants. And he called this entity a virus. Virus is the Latin for, well, it has actually several different meanings, but poison is one possible meaning, So or venom. So it, it's something that was bad <laughs> for the plant, certainly. And so I guess this was a pretty reasonable name for this entity that Beziering found. He didn't see the virus himself. It was still before the technology of the time could allow visualization of something that small. It wouldn't be until the 1930s that scientific advancements first allowed viruses to be actually seen thanks to the invention of what we call the electron microscope. Now, regardless of when humans first saw them, though, they are indeed everywhere. They're in the ocean. As a matter of fact, in the ocean, they're more common than any other biological form. There are millions that float in each drop of water. And it's been said that if you lined up all the viruses in the world's oceans end-to-end, that would reach 200 light-years into space. Wow. And there's a chance, of course, they may even exist there. Bacteria from very many millions of years ago have been discovered that still remain viable in a dormant state. You can actually reactivate these bacteria. They find them in permafrost in Antarctica and other places. Could bacteria and viruses perhaps come from space? That's certainly possible. They had to come from somewhere. It remains to be seen whether there was interplanetary travel for these uh, rudimentary life forms, maybe some meteorite impact or maybe Earth passing through a comet's tail or something like that. But whatever information suggests such an origin for bacteria, there's just no really good evidence at the present time that, that proves that there's some interplanetary transport that occurred. So, well, at one point or another, we'll learn more about where viruses actually originated. So the thing is, we need to know about these two different pathogens. Pathogens are what are disease-causing organisms. They're usually microscopic, and viruses and bacteria fit the bill. So these are the two pathogens that are most of concern to health departments in the United States, well, really throughout the world. Both are capable of causing disease, but they're quite different from each other. Viruses are about 10 to 100 times smaller than bacteria. They're much smaller than bacteria. They're very simple in terms of their structure, and they cannot reproduce on their own. Bacteria can. They sort of split off by a process called binary fission. So that's how that works. But viruses don't work that way. As a matter of fact, they can't do anything at all by themselves. They Really, if you think about it, they stretch the very definition of life because they cannot reproduce. They're basically inert until they come upon a host cell that they're very specific creatures. They really, really are specific to one type of host, and that could be a a species or it could be a particular type of cell in a species. So they're very specific items that will not activate unless they're in the perfect environment for finding a host. The other thing about viruses is that unlike bacteria, we haven't really figured out a lot of drugs, a lot, in other words, antibiotics, that will kill Viruses. As a matter of fact, antibiotics don't kill viruses at all. They have to be some kind of specialized antiviral drugs. Most antiviral drugs end in the their generic name ends in the letters V I R. So if you ever wonder about that, or you ever see a drug that ends in V I R, it is an antiviral drug. Now, unfortunately, most of these drugs are still in their infancy, and all this research for these antiviral drugs in its infancy, and therefore these guys are sort of limited in their action and their effectiveness. They can slow reproduction of a virus, but not as well as antibiotics act against bacteria. Every year, though, we do make progress, and recently there was a one-day influenza treatment that was just approved by the uh, FDA a few months ago called Biloxivir Marboxyl. There's the vir, V-I-R word again. Uh, and its brand name is Zofluza, with an starting with an X, and it is actually pretty effective and much faster than Tamiflu or any of the other current uh, anti-flu drugs that have been on the market in the last few years. There's also now a vaccine for Ebola and some other viral threats that we've seen recently. Uh, these have been introduced, the vi- vaccines that is, Where no preventative option was previously available, that's progress, man. And so we can expect more success, I think, against viruses in the future. Let's talk a little bit about the types of viruses Or We mentioned before that viruses could have DNA as their genetic material, or they could have RNA. Both DNA and RNA are found in humans, but they cannot be found in the same virus. So it's either a DNA virus or an RNA virus. As their name implies, DNA viruses use DNA as their genetic material. This may manifest as what they call double stranded. Most uh, viruses or DNA viruses are double stranded, or they could be single stranded. It's just a matter of confirmation of what they look like. An example of a DNA virus would be herpes, herpes virus. That's a DNA virus. So these viruses enter a host when the membrane of the virus fuses with the cell's membrane. The contents of the virus Invade the cytoplasm The outside of the um, Nuclear part of the cell Where the genetic material is and they travel to the nucleus And they take over the cell's Reproductive machinery For both replication And to make RNA And that RNA that they make Controls the formation of proteins Needed by the virus To form a coat And that coat is known as a capsid And it basically protects The new viral DNA So what you've got then is basically new viruses and you have thousands of new viruses coming out of the same host cell. They accumulate until they reach critical mass, I guess, and they burst open, releasing the newborn viruses to find their own hosts and, of course, usually to the detriment of the host cell. Viruses such as hepatitis and HIV are different and COVID-19, by the way, are different. They contain RNA as their genetic material. They don't have DNA. RNA viruses may be double-stranded or single-stranded. Most of them are single-stranded. Again, a thing of uh, factor related to the conformation of the virus. When these viruses enter a host cell, they convert their RNA into DNA by a process that's called reverse transcription. I don't expect you to remember any of this stuff. This is a little medical ease here. But the virus, what the virus does is injects its genetic material into the host's cytoplasm outside of the nucleus actually uses the host cellular machinery to reproduce in the cytoplasm, not in the nucleus like the DNA viruses do. It's all a little more complex than I'm saying, but hopefully you get the idea of how these guys make babies. RNA viruses have a higher mutation rate than DNA viruses. That's why they are pretty bad. So COVID-19 bad virus. It's an RNA virus. Um, Hepatitis, bad virus, RNA virus, HIV, bad virus, RNA virus. So you've got a real issue with regards to these guys. They have a higher mutation rate than DNA viruses. The faster your mutation rate, the more likely that there will be errors made as these viruses reproduce. And since these RNA viruses are reproducing, causing mutations on and off, well, sure enough, they wind up, having different strains of viruses occur. As a matter of fact, the COVID-19 virus already is separated out into two strains, one that's more deadly and more contagious and one that isn't quite as. So they've already found two strains of this new virus. So the COVID-19 pandemic is spreading to scores of nations on all continents, except I don't think they've found any in Antarctica at the present time. And... I keep saying the word pandemic. I don't want you to think that I, I, there are a lot of health officials that don't want to say that word. And I say the word pandemic not to instill panic, but I just want people to be vigilant and begin to take action to prepare. Let's face it, more people are going to prepare for a storm if they are shown the black clouds on the horizon. Now, in the U.S., the number of cases and locations that are affected by COVID-19 are increasing With local human-to-human transmission, the most likely cause for some areas to have outbreaks, well, you know, it's only a matter of time before a country as large as ours ours is going to see a pretty significant epidemic. There are a lot of well-meaning government efforts, I have to say, to ban travel. I think that actually worked pretty well to slow down the timeline of the disease in the United States, give us more time to prepare but I don't think it's going to prevent the eventual outbreak that will occur pretty much throughout the entire country. That That's just some of the bad news. There are certainly many reasons to be concerned. COVID-19 has a severe form that causes pneumonia and worsens about one in five or six patients. And, well, it is a lot worse than influenza. Seasonal influenza is rarely deadly, but COVID-19 kills about 3% of the time or so. That's probably similar to the death rate that they saw during the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918-1919. But it's about 30 times worse than the regular seasonal flu that we get every year. Some of the other bad news that I have is very simple. That is that our tests that we have for COVID-19 haven't been proven to be 100% accurate in identifying it. So there may be false positives and false negatives and we've done a great job improving our isolation protocols for contagious disease in the last few years, but the problem is the general public isn't always aware of ways that you can prevent becoming infected, and without having an accurate test, well, it's pretty hard to get people to realize that there's going to be a big problem. One well, more bit of bad news is that underdeveloped nations will just not have the medical infrastructure to be able to handle large numbers of people, that might need respiratory support. Even countries in Europe and the Middle East aren't prepared that you would think would be generally pretty advanced. Iran and Italy, well, they are in the midst of a pretty bad outbreak right at this moment, lots of people dying, thousands and thousands of cases, no end in sight. Well, that's some of the bad news. There is good news as well. I didn't want to just whack you with bad news without giving you some good news. The good news is that the 3% death rate that, I quoted, may actually be too high. There are a lot of countries that are just unable or in some of the less democratic states, unwilling to obtain accurate statistics. So I believe there are hundreds of thousands more cases out there that are only mildly affected maybe and didn't seek medical treatment or the medical treatment just wasn't available and recovered, asymptomatic, unaware they even have the virus, unreported by a nation's government, accidentally or or on purpose, And sick, but the nation lacks testing capability or mechanisms to report cases, identify and report cases. So, you know, one example of the last item would be North Korea. That has a border with China, but you haven't heard of one case in North Korea. And I'll bet, however, that COVID-19 is probably running rampant throughout that country. Just not counted. I'll bet there are lots of, lots of cases, easily in the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of hundreds of thousands there for all we know. And the numbers from certain other countries like Iran are underreported just simply to prevent causing panic in a situation that might be fragile politically there for the people that run the place. So you add all these cases to the numbers and the death rate drops probably pretty significantly. Another bit of good news is that China's hot zone has been reporting very low numbers of new cases recently, and that means that the disease probably has taken its course in the country for the most part, and now they're on the far end of the bell curve. And if China's outbreak could wax and wane in just a couple of months, well, maybe other countries, maybe even our country, will do so in turn. It's important to realize that influenza's millions of cases this year, influenza, still much greater in numbers and also in deaths than COVID-19. And on top of that, the good news, just so a little bit more good news, is that we have 100 years of medical progress that have occurred since the last great pandemic came around. So we are indeed in better shape and we will not have the kinds of losses of hum- human life that we had in previous times. So what can you do to lower your chances of getting infected? Well, You can do what we call social distancing. That's a pretty reasonable option in any contagious disease outbreak. And I would start doing this once community-wide spread occurs. If you notice that there are a lot of cases in your area, you got to have a plan of action, and that plan of action involves social distancing, changes in our lifestyle. If you haven't put together a strategy yet, it's time to do so. Think about what you would do if there was an epidemic in your community. There are no specific medicines that cure or even treat COVID-19, so we have to turn to giving symptomatic relief, uh, acetaminophen for fever, that's Tylenol or, or ibuprofen, other drugs as needed. They don't recommend using cough suppressants anymore. They believe that coughing is a way to get out some of the phlegm and only should be used if it's causing trouble with your sleep pattern. If you're coughing so much that you just can't sleep, well then you should use cough suppressants. Otherwise, eh, I'm not sure if you should. Other than that, well, you're going to have to turn to what we call non-pharmaceutical interventions. These could be personal or they can be social, as in social distancing. So personal ways that you can help prevent uh, getting infected is the non-pharmaceutical intervention of hand washing. Frequent hand washing with soap and water, using alcohol-based hand sanitizers, strict attention to respiratory hygiene. All of these things are very, very useful. With regards to hand sanitizer, you're not supposed to use that if your hands are visibly dirty. Use soap and water in that case. And if your hands aren't visibly dirty, you can use hand sanitizer. But don't just use one drop and think your hands are now clean. you got to use a bunch of it. Get your hands good and wet all the way down to your wrists That is very important. Now, one of the common ways to get sick is to touch a contaminated person or surface and then touch your face with your hands. People do this much more often than you'd think. Just ask a friend or family member to watch you for about 15 minutes. Count the number of times you absentmindedly brush your hand against your nose, mouth, and eyes. You really would be surprised how often it occurs. But what we need to do is to enforce not only hand washing, but respiratory hygiene. Respiratory hygiene. Don't leave home without it. It is meant to keep your family safe by decreasing the amount of airborne infectious particles and droplets that you're exposed to. Now, besides frequent hand washing, this entails covering all coughs and sneezing with a tissue in your hand, or at least, if you don't have a tissue, sneezing into your upper arm, not into your hand. You want to dispose of any tissues you might have safely in a covered waste receptacle. You also need to cover your nose and mouth with a mask or cloth if you're sick and in the company of others. That's something that's very important. You want to clean all surfaces that have been touched or coughed on by sick people with some kind of disinfectant, uh, Clorox wipes, uh, chlorine uh, solution, maybe 1 to 10 or 1 to 100 would be fine. The other MPI strategy is more social than personal, as I mentioned. And this is most helpful if you're right in the midst of a local outbreak. And so this involves avoiding large crowds, staying away from work if you are sick or if a lot of people there are sick, keeping children home from school. Usually the school system itself will close. And for a period of time, your kids are going to be home with you, Uh, avoiding public transportation. If you have to use it normally, figure out some other way to go to work or go to school or don't do either. Uh, Avoid physical contact with other people, even shaking hands can cause you to wind up getting sick. Now you want to keep a distance of about six feet from other people, gosh, wave to them or figure out some other way to say hello. And of course, if there are candy jars or, or little bowls of nuts at the local bar, you do not want to put your hands in them. You know, that's probably a pretty good policy in normal times as well. And in your of course in your Family, if there are people that are sick, you got to isolate those folks from the healthy people in the family so that everyone doesn't get sick. So all of this stuff sounds, I'm sure, very paranoid to a lot of folks. But these are the recommendations that are endorsed, endorsed, embraced by U.S. government agencies in the event of a deadly infectious disease outbreak. And you have to realize the pandemic will reach the U.S., but so it doesn't mean it's going to damage the country long term. It will be a little rough going for a couple of months Then we will begin to see The light at the end of the tunnel Have a plan of action Make sure that you do everything you can To decrease your chances of getting COVID-19 And you will find That this too shall pass That's all the time we have for today I hope you enjoyed listening to me Ramble on And I intend to ramble on again in the next few days So I hope that you'll subscribe (laughs) to This, oh look who's here she didn't have much to say. She's, Speaking the truth. she's trying to find hand sanitizer oh, oh, on help the internet. Yes. Me, help me, help me. <laughs> Send prayers. Yes. Well, we do have a supply. So don't forget to check out Nurse Amy's entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. We'll see you next time.
1: Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.